0: This message will be in the first chapter of John again this morning. <clears throat> so before we look at our text, I want to talk some about some introductory thoughts here and go back to our previous encounters with John. <clears throat> first, let's open a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that at the appointed time you sent your one and only Son to earth to become flesh and to dwell among us sinners living in the darkness. You were running as far as possible from that great light. We loved the darkness and hated the light for fear of our evil deeds being exposed. In your great love you provided perfect sacrifice for our sins. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. The godly for the ungodly. Thank you for all that you have done for us. Thank you for this body of believers, Lord. Lord, I ask that you might grant grace and wisdom to explain your word in a plain and understanding way. And I ask first of all that you may open my own heart and also each one's heart here today to understand and to live in obedience to your holy word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning's text, we will look at the third time John the Baptist is mentioned. But first, let's refresh our minds by going back to our previous encounters with him. And looking at verses 6 through 8, John 1. We read this about him. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So in these couple of verses, John Brings out the prophethood of John the Baptist. Notice a man sent from God. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light. So he is sent from God as is a witness for him. This is one element of what makes a true prophet. Second appearance we found in verse 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes before me ranks before me because he was before me. So here John again directs the spotlight away from himself to its proper place. He shines the light on the true light. He who comes after me ranks before me, he says because he was before me. This exaltation of the Christ by John is very consistent with the whole of this gospel and the entirety of the God, of the Bible. This is a constant theme of John pointing away from himself and to Jesus. We will see this clearly in our text today. What a stark difference between John the Baptist and the Pharisees of the day. If you want to see light versus darkness, do a study and compare the two. The Pharisees are always wanting attention. Although they dress very humbly, Jesus says, they refer, they prefer the seats, the front seats in the synagogues and so on. But John, on the other hand, says, I must decrease and he must increase. So that brings us to our text today. Look with me at John 1, starting in verse 19 in your Bibles. I'm reading from the ESV, for the most part, this sermon. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Verse 20, he, he confessed, did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And then verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Thus far I'll read. So here I made sort of an outline of our passage. So in this passage in the beginning, we, we right away see we come across a delegation, an interrogation commissioned by the Jews. This is the first one found in this Gospel. We find many of these in Scripture, especially in the Gospels. Judging by the progression of this, of the questions brought forth, we find some insight into some of the thoughts and some of the misconceptions of the people. Notice in verses 19 through 22, we find a series of questions presented to John but in almost more of a statement form. Each question is followed by a guess. For instance, who are you, Elijah? But in verse 23, John tells them who he is, and he does so by quoting from the book of Isaiah. Before I go in depth, I'll first give some more background. So what prompted the sending of these delegates by the Jews. Keep in mind this is a very unique point in history, but especially in redemptive history. John the Baptist's entrance into the world breaks the deafening silence of God that has prolonged for approximately 400 years. At this point, God sends John the Baptist to make straight the way of the Lord. In ancient times, if someone was planning on going to visit somebody in a different country or something, they would send messengers ahead of them to carry a message, usually of peace, and just to inform them of their plans to come and so on. And So this was done to clear any obstacles that might stand in opposition upon their arrival. Kings often did this, and they would send expensive gifts along with the messenger. This was done to prepare somebody and to to attempt to prevent a, a surprise visit and the like. This is exactly the picture that Scripture paints in regards to John the Baptist. In the Gospel of John, our author selects some very specific quotes from John the Baptist to I believe prop up Christ, especially the deity of Christ. Let's look for a minute in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Matthew 3, 1 and 2. It says this In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And in verse 2, John the Baptist utters his first public words. Repent, for the kingdom of of heaven is at hand. So the message is this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom, kingdom is come. The king is here, and you are not ready. You are unprepared. But now look at the first chapter of Mark. Here John once again proclaims his message as Mark records it. Verse 4 and 5. Four and five read like this. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all, the Jeru- all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. These terms, con- confessing their sins and being baptized, are signs of clean- cleansing and preparation. John's ministry is one of preparation. In the Old Testament, or under the Old Covenant, if a Gentile were to convert to Judaism, he or she was required to get washed to get a baptism. They had to go through sort of a cleansing ritual, or a sort of a baptism ritual. This would imply that they were considered unclean or dirty. But now John comes along and preaches to the Jews and says, You also get a bath. There is one among you who is holy, and you are unclean. So the ministry of John is one of calling God's people to cleanliness and calls for a time of preparation for the coming of the Holy Kingdom. The first words out of his mouth in public ministry are, Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So clearly John is causing quite a stir and a much-needed revival. This was, in fact, predicted by the prophet Malachi. Turn with me, if you will, to Malachi 4, found in verses 5 and 6. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. These are the last words recorded in the Old Testament. It says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Notice especially the first part of verse 6. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. This is revival. This is what John's ministry is all about, turning the hearts of the fathers back to their children. And vice versa. So I believe this message of reconciliation is what prompted the sending of these Jewish officials found in our text. The Jews figured they were the seed of Abraham by birth and as a result were right with God. But now all of a sudden, John is telling them to repent and to get a bath. This is incredibly offensive to the Jews. But all of that background background just to get to our text. Let's look a little more closely at verse 19. It says and this is the testimony of John. In other words, this is what John the Baptist is saying about himself. When the Jews sent priests and levites So these priests were to come from the lineage of Levi as commanded by God in the Old Testament or the tribe of Levi. But of course not all Levites were priests. Hence our text says priests and Levites. Going on it says from Jerusalem. They were sent out from Jerusalem. This could refer to the Sanhedrin The Sanhedrin is the central governing authority of the nation of Israel at this time. They would definitely be located in the city of Jerusalem. Our text says they are sent to ask him. So these authorities do this all the time. They sent out men of lesser authority to question men who in essence were causing any kind of disturbance so they ask him, Who are you? They know his message, undoubtedly. They have obviously heard about him and probably heard him personally. They most likely perceived him to be a prophet. They want to find out just who is this John called the Baptist. So our text goes on to say in verse 20, John confessed and did not deny, but confessed... I am not the Christ. Why would John confess, I am not the Christ? What is prompting this confession? Let's look at Luke 3 for a second. I think we'll find some clues there. Verse 16. There were all kinds of theories and misconceptions about who John was. Here we find one of them. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, it says they were in expectation and were questioning in their hearts concerning John, could this be the Christ? If you look back in verse 20 again of our text, Here John specifically denies this misunderstanding. He says, I am not the Christ. There were a lot of people wondering and expecting. Could this be him? Is this the Messiah to come? Well, we'll let John speak for himself, and he answers clearly, I am not the Christ. Verse 21, they ask him then, what then, are you Elijah? Obviously confused. You are not the Christ, the Messiah. They ask him, What then, are you Elijah? Now, this is interesting. Why these kinds of questions? Are you the Christ and are you Elijah? If you remember, Elijah never died, but rather was taken up in a chariot to heaven. <clears throat> Excuse me. I find that interesting in this context, but I am not suggesting that John the Baptist is a reincarnation of Elijah. There are some striking similarities if you compare the two. For instance, both men are rough in appearance, both dwell in the desert and have a rather odd diet. Both take in upon themselves to confront and rebuke men of high authority. However, it's their powerful message and nature of their ministry that's fascinating and most important. It's their ministries that are specifically mentioned in the Old, sorry, in the New Testament Scriptures. It is interesting that the Jews would ask John if he is Elijah and that John would specifically deny that let's look at some other scriptures to see what they have to say on this matter look at Malachi 4, 5 and 6 again if you want to we looked at it before but verses 5 and 6 the Lord said Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the and the hearts of children to their fathers. And then again Matthew eleven, back to the New Testament, Matthew eleven, thirteen and fourteen. for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John and if you are willing to accept it he is Elijah who is to come this verse would indicate that someone other than a literal Elijah could fulfill the prophecy given by Malachi another one like that would be Luke 1 17 if you want to Look there. Luke chapter 1 and verse 17. Here we find more evidence to back up my assertion that is, that someone other than a literal Elijah would come, rather, someone with the same mission or ministry. and Someone who would turn the hearts back to God and it would be a message delivered in power and in the same spirit as Elijah did. Luke 1.17 It is he who will go as a forerunner before him, that is Christ, in the spirit and the power of Elijah and to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So we see this ministry of reconciliation and preparation here in Luke likewise. This verse is actually a partial quote from Malachi 6. Malachi 4 verse 6 where it says, a forerunner will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Sorry, the quotation is to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children found in Malachi there. So at first glance, you might say Jesus and John are contradicting each other. Jesus said, if you were willing, John would be Elijah to come. The, The Jews ask John whether he is Elijah, but John denies it. But if we take all of Revelation into consideration, we see that John is fulfilling the prophecy, but is not necessarily a literal Elijah. So then, let's proceed they ask him, "Are you the prophet then?" Now the prophet is, of course, prophesied in the Old Testament, scriptures. We'll look at one of them found in Deuteronomy 18 verse 18. Deuteronomy 18:18. 18, 18. "I will raise, this is God speaking." And I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen, like you. Like you is referring to Moses. If you compare Jesus and Moses, you find out they also have many resemblances. In Matthew 2, Jesus was spared death. When the evil king Herod heard that Jesus had been born, that he was called the king of the Jews, he sought to kill Jesus. And Moses in Exodus 2 was born, and being a Hebrew, Pharaoh wanted to kill him as he was killing all the Hebrew children at that time, but Pharaoh's daughter protected him. And then in Philippians 2, Jesus renounced the royal court. He did not count his equality with God something to be grasped or held on to but instead humbled himself even to the point of death. And then in Hebrews 11, 24 to 26, Moses refuses to be called Pharaoh's daughter's son. And he also did not count the passing pleasures of sin something of value in comparison to the pleasures of Christ. And Jesus had compassion on his people, as did Moses The list goes on, but I think you get the point. God promised to raise up a prophet like Moses, and Jesus is recognized then in Acts 3.22, if you will turn there, as the prophet promised to come. Acts 3.22 and 23. I'll read it here. Moses said, and this is the Apostle Peter Quoting from Deuteronomy. The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed the prophet should be utterly destroyed from among the people. So here in Acts, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, recognizes Jesus to be the fulfillment of the prophecy given by God in Deuteronomy. So having asked John whether he be the Christ or Elijah or the prophet, John answers, no. Then verse 22, So they then said to him, Who are you? They're getting a little antsy. We presume you to be the Christ or Elijah or maybe the prophet. You deny to be any of those. So tell us plainly. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? What do you, John, profess to be? What is your testimony? We are more confused now than when we came here. We need to bring an answer back to our peers. So John, who is now finally given the opportunity to actually speak, when they stopped guessing as to his identity, says, and he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Please turn to Isaiah 40. We'll read the quotation. Isaiah 40, verses 3 to 5. I'll give a little background here. But John applies this prophecy to himself. The Jews wanted to know who he was. He quotes Isaiah. Isaiah is a major prophet of the Old Testament listed in a very dark, living, sorry, in a very dark time in Israel. This seems to be the case so often with the nation. But in this context, Isaiah hears a prophetic voice. Reading now, Isaiah 40, verse 3. In the wilderness prepared... Sorry, a voice cried, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in a desert a highway for our God. Make a roadway for our God. In this next section pictures a rough and uneven ground or landscape and it would be hard for traveling without a road through this land isaiah says this every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall every mountain and hill be made low so the high places will be brought down and the low places are brought up and the uneven ground shall become level This is landscaping. This ground requires a lot of hard work. Before you have a road, you have to prepare the ground first. The mountains must be brought lower and the valleys brought up so that the two can meet in the middle. And the rough places, the rough places, a plain at the end of verse 4. The rough places must be smoothed out so you have a level and consistent ground on which to build your highway this speaks loudly to the to the human race and the human condition as well we are high and we are low we are jagged and rough and dry this passage can be applied to man and that's what John does in the New Testament the people were not prepared for the for the glory of the Lord to be revealed at the coming of his holy kingdom. And looking at the beginning of verse five and Isaiah forty, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. This is talking about the glory that will be revealed as the Son of God becomes incarnate and reveals the Father to mankind. So what shall we take from our passage today to apply? I believe it is this, that the Word of God tells us that none of us are ready for the coming of the perfect and holy Messiah. Excuse me. We are rough and stained with sin and unprepared for our God to come into our presence. We need to be smoothed out. We need to be brought low. We need to be lifted up from the mire. There is another picture painted in Scripture, and it refers to hard ground and untilled ground, symbolizing the hearts of man. Before a crop can be planted, the land first has to be tilled and watered and prepared for the seed to go into it. This is vital in order for the seed to germinate and grow. The hard ground is symbolic of the human heart condition. It is hardened and calloused by the deceitfulness of sin. Scripture tells us the intents of the hearts of men are only evil continually. Men's hearts are desperately wicked who can know them. These hearts of stone are not ready for the seed of righteousness to be planted in them. The heart of stone needs to be replaced by a heart of flesh. And this is often called regeneration or the new birth. The point is this, we need heart surgery. If you are unbelieving this morning, you need heart surgery. The Bible says in Romans 10, verse 10, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The Bible also says the natural man or the flesh cannot do what is pleasing to God. The heart of stone is unable to come to God unless something happens first. First we must be sought by God. John 6.45 tells us it is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to Jesus. This learning and hearing is the prep work by the Father. It is pre-salvation or enabling work of the father in order for the sinner to come to christ this is divine heart surgery performed by the great physician and this is man's need that was man's need in john's day although that was a unique period in history with the preparation work necessary for the coming of the messiah Man's condition has not changed since then. In fact, it does not change except by the changing of the heart by the Savior. So as John cried out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, so we should cry out at the world, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Matthew 3, 8-9 Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Or in our day it might be, but I made Jesus my Lord and Savior at this and this time. And although I live like the world, and I don't really care much about God other than to receive his benefits. I know I am saved because I made a decision back then. Matthew tells us, actually it's John speaking in Matthew, but bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Matthew also goes on, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. But thank God the Messiah did come and he died for his sheep as he promised. And now God is calling men everywhere to repent, to put their trust in the powerful Saviour Jesus Christ. No other name under heaven. Is given wherever will be given by which men may be saved. let's pray, gracious heavenly Father, once again, I come before you, I thank you for your immeasurable mercy and grace, Lord. I thank you for John the Baptist. Thank you for his ministry and example. As he constantly insisted on pointing away from himself but to Christ and to only focus on him, we see this good example of Christ's likeness in him, Lord as he humbly referred to himself as a voice instead of a person, to focus rather on Christ as Christ spoke through him. May we likewise point away from us, from ourselves, as we are so prone to pride and boasting in ourselves, even in ministry. Help us to recognize this truth, that you are working through us, and that it is all to your honor and glory. And if not for the grace of God, there go we. And Lord, apply your word to our hearts today and this week as you see fit, Lord. May we be fruitful. In Jesus' precious name, amen.